Good evening. Welcome to our service. Let's start with 562 in the Zion's praises. 562. Each step I take.
Well, good evening to each one. Welcome. It's good to be here. This is a special service, and I can say I have been so blessed today, this morning's service. Even our instruction class tied in somewhat to this weekend, and I was so blessed with that as well. As we um, focus on leadership, uh, especially the transition that we're going through right here, and for sake of clarity, let me just mention, I forgot to mention this morning, in my haste to say just enough but not too much, I do plan to stay on the team and continue being part of the team preaching like normal. Uh, we just turned the leadership thing over to, to Lester. So I just wanted to mention that this morning and failed to. So for those of you who may not uh, be aware of that. Just for a brief order of service. I want to have um, just a brief message this evening on leadership, of course, um, after which we will give the charge to Lester, assisted by John and Lauren, and then um, a dismissal after that. So I guess uh, I, 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 my, my title for tonight is A Leader for God's Glory. I'm sure there's a lot of motives for those who desire leadership, maybe even in church. But I think that really needs to be our, our key focus, a leader for God's glory. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to be re reading verses 1 through 11. First Peter 5, verse 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil... As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> This book was written to several groups, as you'll see in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, that were scattered throughout the area, various towns and cities, because of persecution. He mentions uh, one time reference to their fiery trial that they were going through. And Peter is especially directing this part to the elders of these churches, encourage them to be a good shepherd during this fiery trial that they were going through. You know, the church is very dear to God's heart. As we know, Christ is the head of the church. 
And we have much in Scripture that relates to church leaders. Um, their qualifications, the do's and don'ts, and that type of thing. But we also have a very a supreme example of God's leadership in Jesus Christ and the example that he left. And the epistles offer much practical instruction for church leaders today. The church is also the bride of Christ. So it stands a reason as to why God is so concerned about the church and is interested in seeing her being led by godly leaders who are committed to the work. Jesus makes reference in John 10 to the hireling or a person who's hired for the job who may run away and forsake the flock when times get tough. Peter is speaking directed to that. So today, the church, more than ever, needs leaders for God's glory. I'm going to look at a few um, points here in this couple verses here that Peter brought out in, the, in, his, in his writing here, especially to leaders. And notice especially the first verse or two, a vital personal experience with Christ. Very important. Peter, who was also an elder, witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He talks about he was a witness of the sufferings of, of Christ. He witnessed that. He was with Jesus in the garden. He would have heard Jesus speak of rising again, as Jesus promised to go before you into Galilee. I'm not quite sure if he, well, I don't think at, the, at this time, at the point, he, at that time he made the connection. But that's in Matthew 26, 32. Peter was also there to defend Jesus with a sword and started swinging it as they closed in on him at his capture. And Jesus gently reminded him that all they to take the sword shall perish with the sword. Very likely Peter was also there and watched as Jesus healed the servants here that he had just whacked off with the sword. This is probably going through Peter's mind as he relates and remembers the sufferings and everything that led up to that. He was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Peter was also the one who betrayed Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Three times in a matter of a couple hours from what we could gather. And Jesus was then convicted and sentenced to die. I doubt that Peter slept much that night. Very likely realizing too late what he did. Very likely feeling somewhat responsible for that. He didn't quite live up to his boast of, if all the rest forsake you, I won't. And of course, they all said that. But they all did forsake Jesus. But then on Easter morning, Peter was overjoyed to hear the news that Jesus rose from the dead. He's no, he's no longer in the tomb, but is risen from the dead. And that message is still one to preach today. Still relevant for today. And you'll notice in the beginning of Acts, first couple of chapters, the, uh, that was their message, the apostles' message. That message about the resurrection got them in trouble 
many times. They were thrown in jail. They were beaten for that because of the resurrection. They were to stop preaching the resurrection, but they didn't because they couldn't help but preach what they saw and heard. And that is still a message for us today. But Peter was encouraging them with the glory that shall be revealed in the future. You know, Peter had already witnessed the glory of Christ, and he heard the voice of God uh, as they were, um, on one occasion, Matthew 17, 1 through 8, on the Mount of Transfiguration. What an experience that must have been. Let's turn to that. Matthew 17, I'm going to read a couple of verses there. This is the account when Jesus went up to a mountain, took three of his disciples with him, and Jesus appeared to them in, in his glorified state. Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples hurried, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came, touched them, and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Now, I don't know how many minutes this took. It doesn't look like it was but a few minutes, if that. But when you look at verse 2, it says, His face shone as the sun. Do you ever try looking at the sun on a bright, clear day? You can't look very long. That's a picture that I get of Jesus in his glorified state. And his raiment was white as light. I can imagine their pupils were pretty much shrank down to nothing as they were looking at all that light. But this is the scene that they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. But to see Jesus in his glorified state and hear the voice of God speaking approvingly of his son. What an experience that must have been. What a privilege they had to be able to see that. But you know, Peter says that that, uh, that pales in comparison with the written word. Second Peter chapter 1. Turn, turn with me to that. Second Peter 1. Peter is speaking about this account right here. He placed more value on the written word of God than on that experience. 2 Peter 1, verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard 
And when we were with him in the Holy Mount, referring to that same experience on the mountaintop. Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is powerful. Peter realized that, recognized that. And Peter, at that time, didn't even have what we do. He would have had the Old Testament prophets, but he wouldn't have had the Bible the way we know it. Just imagine if he had what we do today. But Peter is certainly acknowledging the experience on the mountaintop, but it's not his top uh, importance, it seems to be. Seems he's placing more value on the written word of God than even that experience. That's, that's to me, is so amazing. And then as we move on into uh, Peter's life here, while waiting in Jerusalem, as Jesus instructed them, the Holy Spirit came upon them all at Pentecost, and he preached that powerful sermon that brought 3,000 souls into the kingdom. Peter was totally transformed, a little bit like the Apostle Paul we heard this morning. Peter was also a very outgoing, outspoken, impulsive type of a man. That, yeah, probably got him in trouble sometimes, but there's also many times when we see his, his gifts and his talents and his abilities used in a positive way for the sake of Christ. A leader needs to continually grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Taken from 2 Peter 3.18. <clears throat> a leader for God's glory. As we move on here, <clears throat> going down into verse 2 and 3, he is to feed the flock of God which is among you. Now the word feed is an interesting word. It means more than just to provide food. It means to rule or govern, to supervise, to nourish, to cherish, to supply for their needs. The shepherd would go before his flock and search for any danger, poisonous plants, snakes, and predators as he led them into a new area, searching for a suitable place to graze with good grass for them to feed on. You know, at times... He needs to search for a stray and give it some, spe some, some special, some personal attention. A good shepherd knows his flock and understands the special traits of each one. And I'm sure a shepherd that lived with his sheep would soon get to know them, recognize and identify them, and be able to uh, meet their needs, respond according to their need. I also like that phrase, the flock which is among you. I see a lot of, I, I see the beauty of living in the area of those that we serve. I'm always blessed just when I meet someone at the grocery store, or the gas station, or wherever, someone from church, just, hey, hi, how are you? You know, it's just, it's just special to, uh, 
you know, to, to live in the area of those that are under your care. I think that's certainly by God's design. He also speaks against using force. Not by force, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Filthy lucre having the idea of eager for gain, especially financial or personal gain. A ready mind, eager to serve. Then he goes on in verse 5 and 6. Serve with the spirit of humility. He starts verse 5 by saying likewise, referring to the previous verse, the chief shepherd, referring to Jesus. Likewise, you know, Jesus taught and showed the ultimate example of humility in John 13. And I will always bless with that when we come across that, especially during our communion service. That's also part of it. Turn with me to that, if you will. John 13 is the account when Jesus really did seize an opportunity to teach a really valuable, pertinent lesson. Now, the first verse here, I'm going to read the first couple of verses. I think I will read down to the end of verse 5. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And that's as far as I'll read for now. And it goes on to the end of that scene. But what I really want to focus on is the first couple of verses. Uh, you'll see here, the first verse is the setting and the context, but the narrative really starts in verse 2. And the, it, ha, it gives a first phrase, and then there's a comma. And then if you go on down, skip the rest of verse 2 and verse 3, because there's another little thought that's inserted here. But let's just keep that thought going and supper being ended, verse 4, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And I think that's key. That is very important. Supper being ended. They had already finished supper, eating, and no one had yet offered to wash the feet. And in their culture, that was the first thing you did when you got to the house. Now, remember, this was a borrowed room or rented facility, if you will. So no one, none of them lived there. It wasn't anyone's home. And I think that might have been by design by Jesus. So the, the person that lived there would, of course, been the host and the rest were the guests. In this case, they were all guests. There was no host or hostess. So here we have them getting to this rented room and they knew their culture. They knew what was expected. And yet, who was going to do that? Was it my job? I don't live here. I don't have a slave for that. Not my responsibility. You know, not long, too, too long before that, um, 
we have the disciples who were arguing about who would be the greatest in his kingdom. And it may have started when Mrs. Zebedee in Matthew 20, 21 came to Jesus asking a special favor of him. She said, can my boys, Jimmy and Johnny, be on the right hand and on your left in your kingdom? Well, what about the other ten mamas and their boys? What are they supposed to do with this? How is that going to work? Who are you to demand that from your boys? So we might not come down too hard on the disciples. It may have very well started in their home. So parents, you know that, but just a reminder, your children pick up very quickly on your attitude. But Jesus, at that time, as I said, very likely was planned by him that no one lived there. There was no assigned um, servant or owner of the house. So they were pretty much all on equal footing as far as being a host. No one was really expected by their culture to do this. I think it was really the, the very good test for Jesus to do. And didn't he take a good opportunity to teach them humility? And he acknowledged, verse 13, You call me Lord and Master, for so I am. He acknowledged being their Lord and Master, and yet he washed their feet. And I'm sure when he took his outer garment, whether it was a coat or whatever, wrapped his towel around himself, took the water and started washing their feet, I bet they wanted to crawl in a hole, disappear through the floor. Jesus, in his own special way, taught the, the disciples a lesson on humility that I bet they never forgot. That probably stuck with them forever. And you can see the conflict of the two kingdoms, Mrs. Zebedee with Jesus. You know, that was, that was the common thought in their day. You know, in the world, youth and strength is valued. In God's kingdom, it seems like age and wisdom is valued. And based on the context there, it seems like the elders may have been older men. <clears throat> Even though... We have here, we're not completely off the hook just because you're older. He also says, yea, all of you be subject one to another. No matter how old you are, how much experience, how valuable you are, you too have a higher authority to answer to. You also are under authority. So Jesus took this opportunity to teach a very valuable lesson to his apostles at that time. Let's move on. Verses 8 and 9 speaks of the enemy. We truly do have a fearsome enemy. Our enemy, the devil. And this warning comes directly after this warning against pride. And I don't think that's an accident either. <clears throat> Let's turn to Isaiah 14, and we're going to see this account. The prophet writes of Lucifer's fall. Uh, 
Isaiah is in here somewhere. There it is. Isaiah 14. Begin reading in verse 12. The prophet was inspired to write this by the Holy Spirit as he wrote. Verse 12 of Isaiah 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I will, I will, I will. How many times did you see that? I think there's five. I will. Lucifer was brought down because of pride. I will was his goal. I'd like to challenge our elders, pastors here. Guard against the I wills in your ministry. I wills have got me in trouble. I wills will eventually get us all in trouble. We're safer to say we will as it relates to you and the team. Or even if God wills, I will. Too many I wills get us into trouble. The opposite of humility is I will. Turning back to 1 Peter. Verse 9, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, but the God of all grace but the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We also served the God of all grace, and I especially like that. The God of all grace will perfect us. What does that mean? I looked all four of these words up means to be fit, sound, and complete, to equip, to make one as he ought to be. And I really like that in this context here. <clears throat> God has certainly worked in my life early years, still working, and I, can, I trust he does in all of us as we give ourselves to him, to perfect you, to make you what he wants you to be. To establish, to make stable, strengthen, make firm, to confirm in one's mind. And we all know that this being confirmed as one mind, that's, that's viewed as narrow-minded in our day. That's viewed as narrow-minded today. You've got to be a little more open-minded and broad-minded. might not always apply to you like it does to me. That's not what establish means. It means to be settled and to confirm in one's mind. There are absolutes. There certainly are rights and wrongs. The next one, to strengthen. We know what that means, to make strong. To strengthen one's soul. Again, something very needful in our day, thinking of leaders and elders, to, to make strong. Settle. To lay the foundation, to make stable, to establish. And again, 
we, we certainly see the value of that. Originally, um, it was involved in somewhat of a job where the old stone foundation was starting to shift and settle and great big crack developing in the wall. And with some extra work, a lot of hand digging and that type of thing, the owner was able to dig it out and pour concrete and hopefully stabilize that foundation. The foundation apparently had not been deep enough or maybe big enough and it started to shift and settle. Over time, erosion may have washed the dirt away and weakened it. And of course, because of that, now there's a big crack in the wall and the crack can only be repaired. He's not going to jack it up and pull it together. But I get the picture of that in our minds. Our foundation, we need to be settled in that where we stand, as in a deep, good, stable foundation on solid footing. We serve the God of all grace. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace. How much is that? How much is more grace? What's the minimum? What's the baseline? What's the benchmark? Where do we start? How do we measure grace? Cups? Pints? Quarts? Gallons? Is it an inch, a foot, or a yard? How do we measure grace? Where do we start? What, what's the baseline? I don't think there is any. More is just more. And if you need more, you can have more. There's more available. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. It is enough. But if there comes a point in time when you need more, there's more available. He gives more grace. And I can certainly testify to that. God has certainly over the years given me more grace and I can say it was enough. I'm, I'm sure, I'm hoping that you can all look back on your life and say the same thing. We all have different experiences. We all have different needs. Different things come into our life. But God is able to give enough grace and on top of that to give more. And I'm so blessed with that as we think of that in a leadership setting. Uh, I think too that um, sometimes I'm a little bit, I think the analogy that scripture uses many times for a shepherd and his flock in in, in many ways relates to a a church leader. And yet, uh, and sometimes it doesn't quite do justice because I think sometimes if I had a a sheep that would be just too cranky, I'd ship her off to the auction. We can't quite do that in a church. It doesn't quite work that way. And and certainly, um, I think that's where the more grace comes in. We all need that among ourselves. Grace, not just us as pastors relating to you, but you relating to one another and us as pastors relating to each other in that sense.
a leader for God's glory. And it's my prayer that that can be our experience tonight as we move ahead with this step um, that what's done tonight can be for God's glory. That will certainly, I think this is a, an important step in our um, growth, if you will, um, in, in, in the changes that are before us. And I'm hoping that, that it can end up being just that. So I guess I'd like you to stand and we'll just um, have a, a prayer on this part of the service and then we'll proceed with the giving of the charge. Shall we stand? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that's before us tonight. Thank you especially for the abundant instruction and exhortation that we have in your word for leaders and elders of our day. Thank you that even though Peter wrote this a couple thousand years ago, it's still relevant for us today. The message of the resurrection is just as relative for today as it was then. Thank you that you have given us your word in its complete form, it is sufficient to bring a man to or a person to salvation. And we thank you for that. So we pray your blessing on our service now as we proceed with, with this next part. Thank you for Lester and Crystal and their commitment to serve in this way. We pray your richest blessing on them and their family during this time. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> At this time, I'd like John and Lauren to come forward, and if I could have the, the cordless mic, we'll proceed with the, with the charge. Good evening, Lester and Crystal. Can you stand for this? Children can say sitting. We'll get to you later. Lester, you have been called by God through the church to serve as lead pastor. Are you willing to accept, to accept the role as lead pastor and by the grace of God and the aid of the Holy Spirit to give yourself to this work of the church? Do you promise herewith to give heed to all the doctrine of the word of God and to accept it as a rule and guide for your life, to preach and teach it in its entirety and purity and to abide in it with unchanging fidelity. Are you willing to lead out and shepherd the Chris of Alamanite Church and other congregations which may be assigned to your oversight or assistance in accordance with the instruction and teaching of the Word of God and to seek to work with your fellow ministers and the council of the church in all things, show yourself an approved workman in the vineyard of the Lord? Brother Lester, the charge you're given here this evening on the 25th day of April 2021. It's given on the premise of your confession, commitment, and promises before God, and these witnesses the foregoing questions. This charge shall be valid and in effect as long as you are faithful to these, and as long as the Lord grants you health and the ability to serve. I'm going to ask you and your family to kneel. I'm going to ask the congregation to stand for the next part. As we pray, um, I'm going to be praying for Lester, and I've asked the other two pastors to lead out in prayer for Crystal and the children. 
Brother Lester, you are chosen of the Lord to the office of lead pastor in the Church of Jesus Christ. I herewith, in the name of Jesus and the Church, ordain you to the office of lead pastor and charge you to serve in the following rules. It will be your duty to preach the Word of God with all diligence, to promote and defend the pure doctrine of salvation, to oversee and administer faithfully the affairs of the congregation under your charge, to be a pastor of the pastors of the flock, to see that the ordinance of the church are rightly performed by you and those who minister under your direction, to admonish and instruct, to receive into the church by water baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, those who repent and confess faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, to comfort the sick and the bereaved and counsel the trouble, to discipline those who persist in transgression, to excommunicate the disobedient and unrepentant from the church, and to receive them again after repentance, to proclaim the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ and commemorating it by administrating the bread and the cup and the washing of the saints' feet to provide the service of Christian marriage for believers in Christ Jesus and officiate marriage ceremonies, to ordain pastors and assist in ordaining them where needed. Unto you we commit all the duties belong to a faithful steward in the house of the Lord. Therefore, give heed unto yourself, be not self-willed, nor soon angry, be sober, just, holy, tempered holding fast the doctrine once delivered to the saint, to a faithful shepherd of the flock of God, so that at last you may be received by the good shepherd and the flock with, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. To this end, may the Almighty God, who called you to his high and holy calling, bless you and anoint you with his spirit, fill you with his love and wisdom, and use you mightily in the building of his kingdom. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. John. Father in heaven, we pray for Crystal tonight. We pray that God will give her strength, wisdom, and courage to live as a true follower of Jesus Christ. We pray for her spiritual protection and the enemy would like to discourage her. Help her to faithfully support her husband in his ministry. Also give her physical strength and health. Give her wisdom and insight as she counsels with others so that she could use her spiritual gifts in the church. May she know the love of God and experience the peace of God and walk in the grace of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, tonight I just want to thank you for the blessing that the Glick family has been to my life and the life of the church here at Crystal Valley. We also thank you tonight for the three precious children you have blessed this family with. Tonight I want to pray for Bryson, Mason, and Kyla. Lord, as they are a part of this calling of their father's life, May you grant them understanding hearts. May you grant them a blessing as they sacrifice to help their father in this ministry. May you lead their hearts to you. And may they also grow up to be strong pillars in your church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Well, thank you to each of, of you for your prayers, your counsel, your guidance in this. Um, I certainly encourage, we're going to have Chad lead us in a closing song, and I encourage the membership and all of you, come up, meet Lester and Crystal, and uh, give them your blessing. Might be helpful if you come up the center aisle and then maybe around the outside aisle to keep traffic moving in one direction. So, um, Chad, I ask you to lead in a closing song and then I'll dismiss with a benediction. for that song, Chad, an appropriate song. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you again for your blessings on us this evening. Thank you for giving us your grace. Thank you that your grace is sufficient. And you have promised even to give more. Now may that grace go with us as we part from here, especially bless Lester and Crystal and their family in their, in their new role. May they continue to find joy and fulfillment and peace in your will. And we pray your blessing as we part. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.